0: There's all these books out there about how to play poker. And you know, poker is very popular right now, but no one tells you how to turn into a business. And all these people are starting their own businesses with being poker players. And I get a call from her and she says, we want it.
1: Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to Where Accountants Go, the accounting careers podcast. I'm Mark Goldman, the CPA and your host for the show. Well, for today's episode, we have another unique accountant with a unique niche for their practice. In fact, this lady literally wrote the book for her niche. That book is titled, How to Turn Your Poker Playing into a Business. And the author, our guest, is Anne Margaret Johnston, a CPA in Georgia. You may have come across televised poker tournaments on TV on occasion, or maybe even frequently, I guess, depending on your own personal interest. And if that's so, then that's what I'm talking about. If you've ever watched the World Series events for poker, then you definitely will have been watching a few if not several, of Ann-Margaret's clients in the game. Ann-Margaret Johnston basically took an interest of hers, or maybe even a love of hers, that of poker, and turned it into a niche for her own CPA practice. And I just love this story because I'm sure you've heard people say that if you find something you love, then you'll never work a day in your life. And Anne Margaret has basically done just that. And in fact, she helps others, poker players, do exactly that as well through her book and her professional accounting services for that niche. This really is an interesting story, and Anne Margaret is quite the storyteller as well, so I think you're really going to enjoy this one. And if you do enjoy this episode, while you're looking up Anne Margaret's book, How to Turn Your Poker Playing into a Business, up on Amazon, well then check out our author page as well, if you don't mind. We've got a couple books out there for the accounting profession, for both individuals looking to expand their career and employers alike. You can find it all on Amazon, of course. And as always, if there's anything I can do for you in your own career or accounting organizations you're involved in, please reach out to me as well. I really enjoy those conversations, and I'm happy to help in any way that I can. Well, with that, let's go ahead and get started with today's guest. Here's Anne margaret Johnston. Well, hello, Ann-Margaret. Welcome to the show. Oh, thank you. It's nice to be here. Wonderful. Well, for the audience, as I've mentioned before, we are fortunate to get guests from many sources, and today's guest in particular came suggested by one of our other recent guests, Ben Loggins. Today, we have Anne Margaret Johnston joining us for the show, and she has a rather unique niche for her firm that I thought would be cool to delve into. Basically, Ben heard one of our other niche episodes and he asked me if I'd be interested in interviewing the CPA for professional poker players. Obviously, that piqued my interest. And Margaret even wrote a book on the subject. And in all seriousness, I really do believe that having a specialty does make your work just that much more enjoyable and successful. So this one's going to be particularly interesting. Well, Aunt Margaret, before we get into what you do now exactly. Let's make sure we cover your overall journey in some detail. How did you decide to consider accounting as a possible career choice in the first place? Well, it was totally selfish.
0: So I was a pre-law major and I graduated and a friend of mine talked me into going away to college to an all-girls school, which was crazy. And we went to college and it was all-girls. And I don't think I thought that through. And I decided that I did not like it after three and a half weeks, and I came home. And because it was in the middle of back then a quarter, I had to wait until January to start back to college. So when I was home, I saw our neighbor across the street, and he had a CPA firm in Atlanta. I didn't even know what a CPA firm was. And kind of looked into it and realized, okay, he does accounting, he does taxes and audits and things. Didn't know a thing about it, never took an accounting course in school. And when he came over to see how I was doing, and I told him I had come back and I was going to start at Georgia State University in January, and he said, Well, what is your major? And I said, Accounting. (laughs) And so he said, Well, would you like a job? Of course, I knew that's where I was going. I was kind of playing him a little bit. And I said, Sure, that sounds great. And next thing I know, he's hired me part time. So I went to school in the mornings. And after I got up at lunch, I worked for him until five o'clock. And that's basically where my accounting career started. And I kind of forgot about pre-law. So I got into it and I started to enjoy it, realized that maybe this is something that I could make a really
1: good living from. Wow. Okay. I'm, <laughs> I'm sorry. I can't resist. You basically bluffed your way. In I did. Job. Absolutely. Yeah. I maneuvered my
0: way into something that I had not planned on doing. And it obviously worked out, but I will tell you this, that people do, even my husband now says, you would have made a great attorney, but
1: this journey was fun. So it's too late now. <laughs> <laughs> So how long did you stay with that particular position? Was it all through college or was that just your start? How did that work? Oh, no, it gets better. So (laughs) I had been dating my high school
0: sweetheart for a while. And being that accounting mentality that I didn't even realize at the time, I decided if we got married, I did not want to rent. I wanted to buy. And I had the opportunity to buy a house at 19 years old. Back then they had non-qualifying, non-escalating assumables and you just come up with the money and you get a house. And so we decided that we were going to buy a house. And so after going to school and working for this firm, we decided that we were going to get this house And right before we got married. And so by doing that, I would have to obviously go to school at night and work full time. And I somehow, I can't remember how, I ended up working for Ben Loggins down in South Atlanta. And so I would work for him all day and then go to school at night. And that's how I got my start. So Ben was like my first
1: guy that I worked, had a real... Full time job with. Interesting. Okay. Obviously, I knew Ben was part of the story. I didn't realize how early <laughs> in your in your very career. early, and he comes later in my career, and we can get into that.
0: But he actually helped me get my first start when I started my own practice. Okay. Okay.
1: Well, Yeah, I want to make sure I don't miss important things in the middle. And frankly, I don't know what all you did before your practice. So let's take some time going through that. So you're working for Ben Logans around the time you buy a house. Take us. Slowly, from there to the present time.
0: So, I wanted to make more money. So, (laughs) I basically left Ben and I went to another firm. So, the whole time I'm going to school at night, okay, to get my degree, which by the way took nine years, and left him and I went to another firm, and then I worked there for about five and a half years. Decided we wanted to move to the north side of Atlanta, which was hour away from where we were. We Built a house up in, this is my first husband. We built a house in North Georgia. And so I left the firm I was with after Ben and started working in Atlanta, again, going to school at night. I I was able to take some classes at another college and had them transferred in. So it all came full circle eventually. And then I made one more move to a firm a little closer to where our new house was up in in North Atlanta. And I started with a big firm and I started with them with five other people that were brand new. It was a big firm. But what I did not know is they normally will hire for tax season and then they lay off after tax season. So here I am with a brand new house, still going to school at night, finishing up my degree actually, and I get laid off in May. And when you are laid off in May in an accounting firm for public accounting, it's very difficult to find another job after that. And I had applied a couple of places, but no one's hiring in May. Everybody's Mm -hmm. done with tax season and they're taking a rest. So at that point, I was devastated and I didn't know what to do. And I kept thinking, you know, I can do this. I can do this myself. I can at least do bookkeeping because I'm finishing up my degree. And I called Ben Loggins and I said, look, and I called several of the people I used to work for because you never burn bridges. That's key thing to life. So I called these people and I said, here's what's happened. And I knew QuickBooks had just come out and everybody was starting to use it. And I said, I can do QuickBooks. I can train. I can you know, get everything ready. I can do some taxes, but mostly I can help your clients. And Ben said, I got someone close to you that they need someone four days a week and then eventually hire for that position. And I remember Ben charged them $50 an hour, and I got 35 of it. So he really gave me my first start. And then I had a firm that I had worked for before, and when the client heard I left, he contacted me and said, I would like for you to do it instead of paying this firm. So I called the firm, the right thing to do, and I said, hey, I have been contacted by this guy. Would you care if I work for him one day a week instead of going through the firm? He's like, please take this guy away from me. (laughs) So he was really happy to get rid of this because he was a different kind of personality and it didn't bother me at all. Anyway, so there I had five days a week taken care of and thus my firm started. Wow! And that's sort of where it started. And again, the scariest and the hardest part was the fact that I'm starting an accounting firm when I'm just finishing my degree, obviously need to get my CPA license, which is going to be harder now because you're supposed to work for someone. So I had a lot of challenges I knew were ahead of me, but it's like once I started, I couldn't go back. I just couldn't you know, start back with someone else. And it, I worked a lot harder, but you know it was worth it. So
1: that's where I got my start. Okay. Okay. Yes, I'm sorry, and and I may have misunderstood this. Had you started taking the exam by now, or were you building? Oh no, no, no. Oh,
0: okay. I was building my business. Okay. But right. shortly after, I started taking the exam. Okay. I graduated about the time I started my company. I was finishing up, like I said, and starting the company. And so it all kind of happened at the same time.
1: Okay. Okay. Just in case, I'm curious if there were any sort of lessons or aha moments or milestones when you worked for the various firms, Ben's, the others as well. Were there any key experiences you had or anything? When you look back now, you think, you know, that's where I learned this that helps you operate your business now or helped you be successful? I can't really point to anything
0: specific. It's just that the key is to soak up as much as you can, look and see. And not everyone's meant to have their own practice. You've got to learn every aspect of it, not just doing the work, but running it and billing properly and things like that. So by working for other firms, I picked up on how to build clients and how to juggle everything. And it's very difficult when you start your own practice, if you do it right, you're working 18 hours a day, seven days a week. And I worked out of the basement of my house is where I started it because I didn't have a lot of money and I got laid off with a mortgage payment I could hardly afford when I had a job. So I had to do whatever I had to do and that meant I want clients coming to my home so I would go out to them. And so I spent a lot of time on the road and things like that. But again, you kind of know quickly if you can do this or not and okay. if it's your
1: thing. So Okay, okay. Before we get into your practice, I know you mentioned going to school nights for nine years, and that's a very important part of your story. What was the process like for you taking the exam? Was that easier or or building your business at the same time? Was that a challenge? Oh, you're
0: going to love this one. So I ended up having to drive pretty far to take, I took Becker and it was located, this is you know, when you had to go to class and nothing was virtual. And so I had to go to class, but I found out, and Becker's was pretty expensive. I think it still is. But I found out if you were a student assistant, you get a break, like a huge break. And part of being the student assistant is you have to go early and set up, and then stay late and take everything down for the instructor that comes in. So that's what I did. I volunteered and had to interview and I got it. So I volunteered to be a student assistant. So that was even more difficult where I'm trying to make every dime I can to pay bills, but then now I have to take away from that and go and try. But I had to have the CPA exam because I felt like I needed to do that for the credibility. And if you're going to have a CPA firm, you kind of need it. So I started going to the classes and I met my husband. (laughs) I was going through a divorce and the lead instructor and I hit it off. And next thing I know, we're married. And after, and I'm just going to say this, I did not put everything into doing this because of everything going on at the time. So it took me about five times to pass it. And what happened, and unfortunately, this is my personality. What happened is back then, if you pass certain parts, you only had a certain amount of time to pass the rest of it. And you had to pass two at a time. And then you can do one at a time for the other, there's four total and it got down to the wire where if I did not pass this one part, I lost everything and had to start over. And I knew I was going to do, that's just how I, I worked, put pressure on me and I finally did pass after the fifth time. <laughs> but, so I married my exam instructor, which you would think would be helpful, but it's not necessarily because if I wasn't studying, I couldn't fake it. Like with someone else saying, like, oh, I've, I've already studied and he already knew. No, you did not. And he would ask me questions and then he'd know I had not been studying. So. So that's how that happened, too. So you're talking years later, you know, by the time I got my degree and then by the time I
1: passed the CPA exam, it took a while. Okay. Okay. I just had to ask, I mean, because I, yeah, that's important to reference as well. So we left off the story. You had just started your firm. You're working out of the basement of your house. You're working on the CPA exam. I want to get to where you developed the niche, but I'm sort of curious how the practice overall developed. So take us forward from there in your practice. One thing I learned too, is when I started, you've got a network. And so
0: I try to avoid those networking groups that were expensive and I got to know some people in the business world and and at certain things. And so I decided that one thing that may benefit me is Rotary. And I joined a Rotary Club. And one of the best decisions I ever made because the movers and shakers of the community are in that club. And so that's where I met a lot of people. That's where I got a lot of clients. I really got involved in that. And one lesson I will say is, when you do something, do it 100% or 110% and I always did. So when I joined the Rotary Club, I went full force and they could always depend on me and I was always involved in community things because when you work with community leaders close and they get to know you and they like you, the sky's the limit. And so that's what happened is I would get a lot of referrals from the people that I interacted with in the community. And in fact, I've been in Rotary and been in Rotary as well and I am going on 25 years of perfect attendance. So that shows how when I get into something, I get into it and it really helped my practice. So that helped and joining the chamber and just getting out there and having a personality helped too. I'm not like a lot. A lot of CPAs are very introverts. That is not me at all. Like Ben, we're very similar and it helps to be out there and be personable and to kind of outshine other people by certain characteristics you may have. Okay. So when did the poker niche come up? <laughs> okay, so we'll it's get to the good stuff. Let's yeah. get to so I've always wanted to go to Las Vegas. I've never been. And shortly after I got married, my husband, the CPA exam instructor, he did that part-time, by the way. He took me to Las Vegas, and it was fantastic. And I... Used to go by these poker rooms and I'd see everybody hunched around a poker table. And I'm like, Ooh, I want to know what's going on there because it's like a secret club and it's kind of intimidating. And I don't do well with things that intimidate me. I want to tackle them. And so I decided that I wanted to figure out what's going on. So one of the casinos had poker lessons. So we sat down and took a lesson and I loved it. In fact, it was seven card stud at the time. And I was like, just loving that. So then we get home and I was like, David, I have got to go back to Vegas. So we started going to Vegas like three times a year. And, you know, it's a four hour flight from where we are. It takes all day to get there. And we started going three times a year. And about four years into doing this, I finally looked at him on a trip on the way home. And this was in 2005. Poker was getting more popular. Every time we went, we would learn, like we started learning No Limit Hold'em, which is the popular poker. So we started to learn that, and we started to play that every time we went. And at, around that time, it was so popular because Chris Moneymaker, and if you Google him, he was like the first guy that really put poker on the map recently, not like the old guys, but this is the new wave of poker. He won the World Series of Poker in 2003, and the World Series had been around since the 1971, I think. And so he had won it. He was an accountant from Tennessee. He had never played live. He would played online. And back then, there's a lot of online poker. So he had gone to Vegas, won a seat for like $50 and then turned it into $2.5 million. So he was popular. The whole cards at the table where it's kind of like, it used to be like, if you watched poker, it's like watching paint dry. Well, they made it to where they would do tournaments and you could see the whole cards. So you knew exactly what someone had if you're watching it on TV. So it made it exciting about, oh, I know what you got. Now, what are you going to do with it? So all this was happening at the same time when we were flying back and forth and Chris Moneymaker had won. So. We were on our way back from one of those trips and I looked at my husband, who's a CPA, but he got out of public years earlier. And I said, we're smart CPAs. We need to find a way to write off these trips. That was the entire reason for writing this book is I want to write off my trips to Las Vegas. And I said, I don't know enough about playing poker that I can write a book playing poker, but boy, I know how to handle it tax-wise. And all these people were starting to quit their jobs and play poker full-time and be professional poker players. And I said, I can tell people how to turn their poker playing into a business. Boom, that's when it started. So I sat there and I wrote and wrote and wrote for four hours on a legal side piece of paper. I still have those pieces of paper today. And I got back and I waited until after tax season was over, which is October 15th. And I took a week off and I wrote this book. I had the 18 pages I started with and I just finished it with, well, expounded on it with that. And I couldn't figure out how to do these chapters where they'd be interesting because accounting is not interesting to most people. I mean, to me it is, but you know. So I thought, how am I going to make this book interesting where these poker players who are a different breed altogether would find reading my book to be something that would be interesting? And my husband gave me the idea from something he had read and he said, I want you to look at this certain book and I can't even remember which one it is, but it was where each chapter would start with a story leading into what you wanted to talk about. And that's what I did. So each one of my chapters would lead into a story about meals and entertainment. Like I was in Vegas and I was at a table with such and such and they were complaining about their meal being terrible. And I wish we could write off. I just spent $20 for a meal sitting here at the table and I wish I could write it off. And so I would write a story about that leading into writing off meals and entertainment or different people you would meet. So that's how it was. So every chapter has a story that gets you interested in what the subject matter is. And then I wrote about the subject matter. And next thing I know, I'm cheap, so I wanted to self-publish because a lot of people that will do their own books will hire somebody to do it all, and then you just sit back and wait, and I'm very impatient. So I went and researched, and you need, in order to self-publish, you need an ISBN number. So I got my own ISBN number, which is the barcode on the back of your book. I found a guy that I played poker with underground games nearby, and I got some of his poker chips, and I found a photographer, and we made the front cover with the poker chips, Then I went to another guy who had done some things with, and he did the back of the book for me. And then I used a company nearby that had been publishing small books for like churches. And they said that they would help me publish my book. And so I did all of the writing. I gave them everything and they put it into a book. And next thing I know, I've got this book. How was it publicized? How did people even find out about you? Oh, this is the great thing. So I get this book and I remember the day they delivered it. I just thought I was going to die. Of course, then you go, okay, I've got a book now. What am I going to do with it? I Googled publishing things and I came up with this lady's name in New York and I sent her an email and this was into 2005, beginning of 2006. And I sent her an email and it was with Barnes and Noble and it was a crapshoot. And I sent it to her and said, look, I have done this and here's what it is. And no one's ever done this before. There's all these books out there about how to play poker. And you know, poker is very popular right now, but no one tells you how to turn into a business. And all these people are starting their own businesses with being poker players. And I get a call from her and she says, we want it. Hmm. I mean, it's just luck. And Barnes & Noble bought my book. And the way you do it when you don't have a agent is that you have to distribute it and you have to go through their distributor. So Baker & Taylor was one of the choices I had and I got in touch with them. And from there, Baker & Taylor would take orders for my book and send them to me and I would forward my books to Baker and Taylor and then they forward them to the different outlets that requested it. And a lot of the stores stocked it. And so I was able to um, go to the store one time nearby and see my book sitting on the shelf. That was the crazy part. But what got the book out there was as soon as I had that book in my hand, I started getting in touch with all these poker and gambling magazines out of Vegas. There was Card Player, Bluff, Annie Up, so I started with Card Player. It was the most popular. And I said, I've got a book. And all your articles are about playing poker, but there's nothing in there that tells these people what to do after they win their millions. And I can do that for you. And I will write articles for you for free in exchange for you putting advertisements in your magazine for my book. And that's how it happened. I'm a marketer. I should have been in marketing. You are. <laughs> So that's what happened. And I started writing for all these magazines. And I've got like in my office here, I've got where I've framed several of them. And next thing I know, I get calls from professional poker players. And guess what? One of those calls was a guy named Chris Moneymaker.
1: (laughs) Really? Oh, my gosh. Wow. Wow. (laughs) <laughs> it, it all comes back full circle. I love
0: that. It did. Well, what it was is I got a call, and so my secretary said, hey, there's a guy on the phone named Chris Moneymaker. I'm like, yeah, right. <laughs> so, so I pick up the phone, and he said, hey, this is Chris Moneymaker. I'm like, okay, seriously, who is this? Because I thought someone played a joke on me. <laughs> he's like, no, this really is Chris Moneymaker. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> so long story short, he's actually still a client. So I've had him for all these years. Wow. Wow. And after it, that, I got about 250 professional poker players within the span of a year and a half. I would fly out to Vegas. I'd get copped rooms. I'd have dinner, $750 bottle of wines with a guy named Tony G, who is a Lithuanian poker player, who wanted to talk to me about doing agencies. I mean, it was
1: a crazy ride. Crazy. Wow. What I love about this is I could just see, so you're getting the professional poker players. And then, of course, all the people that would like to be are still buying your book because they're curious. <laughs> you know, I want to play professional poker for a living. Maybe I can do this as a business. That That's is, what wow. they did. They did. Yep. Wow. So what does your practice look like today? Is this all you do? I mean, 250 is... Oh, okay. gosh, no.
0: I don't. So okay. let me tell you what happened. Remember I said how great it was and I was enjoying it. Well, something came to a crash April fifteenth of two thousand and eleven. It's called Black Friday in the poker world. That is when the Department of Justice shut down online poker because a lot of these guys played online and the most popular site was poker stars. Party poker, poker stars, all these online sites had popped up full tilt. You name it, they were out there and they were very popular. In fact, one of my sheets where I got new poker clients I have a sheet to kind of get to know you. And one of it is, what are your screen names? Because everybody has screen names. So I need to know their screen names in order to know about them, like to go in. If I saw that I was playing on a table with them, I need to know their screen name. Nobody ever knew their real name. And that was a day. And that was fun. And what they liked about me was that I understood poker. So that helped. It's one thing to write a book and it's one thing to specialize in something you understand. Because one day, one of the poker players called the office and I wasn't here in my employees. She's a CPA. She took it. And the guy said, hey, I've got this horse and I don't know how I'm supposed to send him a tax form. Well, my employee's like, you have a horse. We don't do horses. Well, a horse is someone that you pay to go into a tournament. You pay their fee because maybe they can't afford it. And they're your horse. So they go into the tournament and if they win, you get a percentage of their winnings. So those are the things you've got to know that the language, you've got to know what's going on and be, understand the whole game and also understand the things they can pull over on you because I can very much say, okay, I know that is not what's going on. Tell me what's really going on. So it is a specialty industry where you do have to know. But anyway, I'm rambling a bit, but back to my story is April 15th of 2011, the Department of Justice shut down all online poker. It suddenly became illegal. And that was the big crash that we had. A lot of my players who are making millions had to panic because their money stuck online because a lot of people don't take it offline. So their money was stuck online. And when the Department of Justice shut it down, it ended up some of their money was stuck on there for a year and a half, two years. And we're talking millions of dollars. So the industry came to a crash and people started trying to figure out what they could do. And a lot of the players went out of the country. So I had to learn about people that went out of the country and how we can write off their time away and how many days a year or how many days in a calendar year that they had to be able to go out of the country and write it off as foreign income. And anyway, it made me learn a lot of new things about poker because of what happened. So when that did occur, a lot of these guys went and got real jobs. And so now today, the way my practice looks is poker is still popular. I'm still getting clients every day, but I have about 150 professional poker players as clients. And I still have some of the ones that started off playing online and live poker that are now stockbrokers and they're doing really, really well and took those poker skills and turned it into a job. <laughs> so That's I where we are it. today. But oh. most of my clients are not poker players, but I'd say a third are. The rest are normal people <laughs> like uh, bankers and lawyers and have their own businesses, plumbers and electricians
1: and veterinarians, etc. Yeah, You told me in our pre-show conversation something about if I watch the poker games, so and so many out of the finalist table will be your clients, right? <laughs> people you've worked with for yeah. some time, right? It's, it's very
0: exciting to walk into a sports bar and you look up and they have the you know, poker tournament on the television and you look up and it's like, three of those guys are my clients. It's so exciting to point out to everybody in the room, oh my gosh, these are my clients, look at them, yeah. And I've had several that have made the final tables at the World Series and have invited me to the event. And it's just fun. It breaks the monotony of a CPA firm doing taxes. It adds flavor to a somewhat boring industry.
1: What's interesting to me is, so you get into business, you find something you enjoy, you know, poker, you turn that into a piece of your business, you develop a niche, and then because of a crash your practice ends up getting diversified because now you have all these people that used to play professionally that maybe don't, but they're doing something else. And I'm sure some of them stick with you as a the
0: Oh yeah. I still, I still have a good many, but they're not quote unquote poker players anymore. Interesting.
1: But yeah. Yeah. Okay. So what does the future look like for your firm? I'm curious, do you think you'll develop another niche or are things humming along just
0: the way you like I developed it? a little bit of it, not anything like this. Another niche I developed was pilots, people that have airplanes, because, I'll just tell you this real quick. So kind of like with the poker, I told you I walked into the room and you see everybody hunched around the table and it looks very intimidating. And I said, I want to know what they're doing. I don't want to feel intimidated. And so that's what caused me to learn how to play poker in the first place. Well, I have a fear of heights and I have a fear of the ocean. So I took those two fears and I turned it into, I'm going to make myself do this. So I decided nine years ago that I'm going to go get my pilot's license. And before that, I learned how to scuba dive, which I hated, but now I love. And now I have a place on an island that, where you scuba dive. But I decided I'm going to get rid of this fear of heights and I'm going to learn how to fly an airplane. I've never wanted to do this. I hate it. In fact, I went up for my first lesson and the guy said, okay, do you want to do this anymore? I said, I do want to do this again. I can't stand it, but yes, I'm going to do this and I'm going to see this through. And I got my pilot's license. And with that, I started doing some seminars at pilot clubs about if you have uh, rental airplanes and how to write things off if you turn that into a business. So I have clients that have planes that they rent out. And so now I do their taxes because I understand that industry.
1: Interesting.
0: You All didn't right. know that about me.
1: No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. I guess there's a lesson in here. If you're scared of something, make it something fun so that you can go learn. Do it, it anyway. It. Get it exactly. It's, it's, and as a side note, so I still get
0: anxious, like, going over bridges and stuff, but I did get my pilot's license, and because I love animals, we have five dogs here every day at our office, two are mine. Our employees bring theirs, so I love animals. And I turned that pilot license into doing Pilots and Paws Rescue. So I would fly dogs from like a situation where they needed to be flown to a foster home that was really far away. It would be very difficult for the dog to ride two days in a car or a day or so in the car. And so I would fly them from point A to point B. So that's what I did with that. That is too cool. Too cool. And I wrote it off as
1: charity. So I I saw that (laughs) coming. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. There should at least be a pamphlet on that, if not a full book, by the way. Oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Well, before I get to the final three questions, because I do want to be respectful of your time, and we're recording this as tax season has started. So do do you have any advice, or I guess, what's your best advice for someone that is starting a practice or maybe has a practice already and they want to build a niche? You ask yourself, what do you love? What is my hobby? So the first thing you say, okay,
0: what do I do in my spare time that I love, that I get enjoyment from? And I think it would be rare if you couldn't find something you love that you could turn into a niche. So if you love to play golf, then you start putting yourself out there as specializing in professional golfers, or if you love horses, then you put it out there and you read about it because that is a specialty and you read about farming. It's a separate schedule and you read everything you can and you go and interact with people with farms and you make that, I specialize in horse farms or I specialize in cattle farms or whatever. So think about what you love and see if you can go down that specializing road with what you love. Now, I'm going to tell you right now, Doing taxes for professional poker players is no different than any other business. It's scary for most CPAs. Part of the reason I got all these clients is because a lot of CPAs steer very clear from poker because it's gambling, because it's scary, because it's cash, all those reasons. They just rather not have anything to do with it. And it is not rocket science. It is no different than any other business. There's a few little quirky things, but that's it. And I took that other people's fear and I made it to where hey I'll take that client that scares you from you and I'll take care of them for you. So that's my advice is there's a niche everywhere and all you do is figure it out and market it. Get the word out. Get in rotary and tell everybody oh I specialize in X or go in the chamber and mention that you specialize in it and or get on Facebook. Oh my for God's sake, people will be telling everybody they know you specialize in such and such. So it's out
1: it's easy. It's really easy. Sure, sure. Yeah, you find the intersection of what you love and what people will pay for. That makes sense. Yep. Definitely. Yep. Well, I do end every show with the same three questions. Probably better get to those. The first one's usually the easier one. From a career perspective, what's been your proudest moment? It is kind of obvious.
0: <laughs> the proudest moment is getting out of my boring accounting career, writing a book, and turning
1: it into something fun. <laughs> Absolutely. I was expecting to hear about a championship you won that we hadn't touched on yet. Okay, well, I did. I never won one, but I did
0: come in third against one of the top female poker players in the world. So yes, that was a proud moment. <laughs>
1: oh my gosh. And it was okay.
0: And what made it even better, it was down, Poker Stars used to be in the Bahamas and they do a tournament every year. And so I'd go down there and of course, right off the whole trip to the Bahamas because my clients were down there. And I decided to enter into a women poker tournament down there and ended up third. And it was the best feeling because I'm not that great. At, I mean, I'm good at poker, but not great. And I just happened to end up third. So, and it was a write-off. So it was just like a win-win all over the place. It wasn't much because it wasn't a big term. It won about $11,000.
1: Okay. Okay. I think the audience is going to think that I knew that in advance. I really didn't. I I was just surprised. Now I forget about that. It's funny. I just totally forget. Oh my gosh. Well, second question or more of a request. Tell us about a lesson that you learned the hard way and and the more you can share, the better, of course, because that's how we all learn from these things i
0: kind of touched on, I learned the hard way is it probably wasn't the best idea to buy a house at 19 years old and go to school nine years at night. That was hard. I don't know if I'd be where I am today if I would have taken a different route. I don't know if I'd be different if I had gone to pre-law, but it was very, very hard to pay bills and work full-time and then be exhausted, especially tax season, and then have to go to class at night. So my days would be starting at Six in the morning and end up at ten o'clock at night. Sometimes that was tough. I don't recommend that. But I also, with a caveat, is but if that's the only way you can do it and you want it, that's what you need to do. It's not impossible. Believe me, I'm the one to tell you that it is not impossible to do. I did it. It wasn't fun. And I remember I told when I was married to my first husband. I remember looking at him when I was doing all this and I said, if I die tomorrow, you will know I'm so miserable. I died a miserable death because I was I had a miserable life and you know all that pity party.
1: But I did it, and a lot of people give up, and I didn't. Sure, sure. Yeah, there's a lot of things we look back on, and we think, well, maybe that wasn't the smartest choice. But at the same time, that choice ended up getting us to where we are now. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. Yeah, hard to question. Well, last question, then we'll go ahead and close it down. What's the best piece of advice that you have ever received? I went to several colleges, but they ended up, you know,
0: I ended up getting my degree, but I went to Clayton State College down uh, near Bensway. And my accounting professor told me one time, real tall guy, and he'd been around forever. And the one thing he told me is he said that if you are nice and you have a personality and you try really hard, people will forgive the fact that you may make a mistake or that you don't know everything. But if you've got that personality and you connect with them and you have a relationship with them, if something turns a little sour, they're going to be a little more forgiving than if they hardly know you at all. And you're just sitting there preparing their information and you move on and you don't know them. So get to know people, find that connection. So even to this day, when a client comes in, I will find, because that's that seven degrees of separation. It's there, trust me. And you find a way to connect with a client. Maybe you know someone that they know in the community. So like if someone calls me, one of the first things I do is I go on my Facebook and I put their name in and I find them and then I see if we have mutual friends. I mean, that's huge because then when you connect, they're happy and they trust you and they feel better about
1: having you as their trusted advisor. That was a great piece of advice. That really is. Yeah, and it's so true. It's so true. Well, you know, I I was thinking about it, and I usually do just three questions at the end, but I can't resist. Are there any super secret poker secrets that you want to pass on to the audience? Any (laughs) any words of wisdom we should know about? (laughs) I'll tell you this.
0: I learned this a while back. Somebody asked me that about your successful poker players. Why are they so successful? And some of it, God, I love these guys. They're so great. I've almost like watched them grow up. But Some of them aren't the best with some common sense. And I'll tell you real quick, I got one that I'll never forget this as long as I live. I got him his tax return. This is when everything was paper. And I mailed it to him and he called me up and he'd already had it like three weeks. And this is April 14th. And he calls me up and he says, I finally get my tax return to the post office. I'm like, okay, you know, I'm a little stressed. I'm like, okay, that's great. And he said, I just need to know, do I need to put a stamp on it? And I'm like, seriously, you didn't just ask me that question. And he's like, what? I said, no offense, but that's like the stupidest thing anybody's ever asked me. And he said why is it so stupid? I said, do you put a stamp on it? And he said, well, isn't the post office government? I said, yeah, in the IRS government. Why would I need to put a stamp of his government, to government agency? I'm like,
1: you know, that wasn't so
0: dumb. <laughs> in a way, he thought it through differently. So these poker players think about things a little different. But one thing I will tell you is my poker players that do the best when then they go to play a cash game or go play a tournament. I have learned that they all go and they work out and some won't even go play unless they worked out. And, I don't work out, but I do like to walk in small things to get some exercise. But they all seem to work out, to get that energy out before they go into a poker tournament. And that's what I've noticed that happens with the ones that are the most successful.
1: That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, you get the nervous energy out. And, wow. Okay. Yep. Thank yep. you. I wasn't sure what I was going to get when I asked that question. Thank
0: you. <laughs> that is true. I researched it years ago, too. It's like, how are these guys? You know, they're not, they're not brilliant. They're not the most incredible, intelligent people on the planet. What does it? And that's the only thing I could really come back to is, is most of them that have made millions, they have a regimen, and they stick to it.
1: Interesting. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much. Give us the title of your book one more time, because I know it's still on Amazon, so give us that title in case people want to. It is it. not exactly applicable right now, but the stories are pretty good, but it's called How to Turn Your Poker Playing into a Business. Beautiful. How to Turn Your Poker Playing into a Business. Beautiful. Wonderful. Well, thank you again. This has been really interesting. I could easily talk to you another hour, but <laughs> I do want to be respectful. Oh, I got all kinds of stories. Uh, Mark, be careful what you wish for. <laughs> Well, thank you again. I really appreciate your time to do this. And you are welcome. Take care. Well, that was my interview with Ann Margaret Johnston. And I easily could have continued talking to her for at least another hour, maybe a couple. She was just exciting, really fun to talk to. She's got a lot of great stories. And I know there are many more things that we could have touched on, but obviously we tried to keep the episodes to a reasonable time frame. And actually, I really appreciated her taking out time for this because we recorded this at the beginning of tax season. So she's definitely already getting busy. And so it was just very, very generous of her to take the time out to record this for us. Another thing I really enjoyed is I appreciate hearing how people get the ideas for their businesses or their niche. And it's just amazing to me that she was simply flying back from Vegas and realized, hey, there's a need out there in the marketplace. No one is really adequately serving these professional poker players and helping them with their unique challenges. And so she sits down and writes a book on it and voila. She has a niche. I'm sure there were a couple steps there in the middle, but it really was pretty simple. It took her executing on the idea, of course, but it really was pretty simple. And I think we all can learn a lesson from that. Well, thank you again for joining us. This has been another episode of Where Accountants Go, the Accounting Careers Podcast. And as I always mention, if there's anything I can do for you in your own career, please don't hesitate to reach out. I'm very findable on LinkedIn. Just search for Mark Goldman CPA and I'll pop right up. Well, thank you again, and as I always say, we'll see you next week. There's more to come.